Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. This is episode four of series two. Uh, we're really rattling through them now. We're nearly halfway through this series. Now, Chris, we need to start this episode with a disclaimer, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do. Uh, yeah, I suppose the disclaimer is uh, is that this episode was recorded at least five minutes before you press play. So the COVID rules would almost certainly have changed since. <laughs> Uh, so, so I suppose if we if we talk about shooting, socialising, having friends, or breathing in public, uh, that's because that for some people right now these things are allowed. Uh, but it may be that when you listen to this, all of that's banned. Um, so anyway, that's that out of the way. On with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So Chris, we have a particularly special guest today. We we do. Uh, very excited by this one. I, I was trying to write down how I'd describe our guest, but if you've clicked play, you probably all know who, who it is already. But uh, I suppose he's, he's my sort of my shining light, my leader, my captain, my example setter. <laughs> and the person, the person I try to emulate, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So welcome, James. <laughs> James Horn. Welcome. Good, good evening, chaps. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Thank you. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be on it, and uh, I'm waiting with a certain amount of bated breath as to what on earth you're going to ask me, because I guess I'm responsible for you guys for getting in the mess that you are at the moment and uh, having the great time of running guns on pegs. Yeah, well, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's it, 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 You're where it all started, and I am one of the newer members of the team, so it's fascinating for me. And this is a, an episode that we've been talking about recording for quite some time now. Um, and we'll get on to, to all of the detail a bit later on. But basically, we're going to talk about where Guns on Pegs came from. But um, before all that, there's some really important business to conduct. Well, just um, just just before I go into that, I, I, I also thought, uh, I was just thinking a second ago, that uh, Dad's always been a keen listener of our podcast. And I think you listen to it when you mow the lawn and stuff like that. So so you're now on it. I know. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I've got an awful lot to live up to as well with some of the great guests that you've had beforehand. But uh, I do love listening to it. And I've actually listened to some of them more than once because uh, I've uh, found them actually rather informative. So uh, I'm very honoured to be asked by my dear son. And you know, and you know what else? You know what else this means? It means that I can give Dad a pair of the podcast garters without, with, with a genuine reason, without actually just sort of giving them to him because I felt like he needed them because he's my dad. <laughs> oh yeah, but I do. That's great. <laughs> well, I think you know. In that case, uh, without further ado, let's crack on. Um, so, uh, first order of business, as always, is James. What's that you're drinking? Well, this is achieving sort of cult status, this uh, drinking on the podcast. And um, so I thought I would sit here with a chaser. So I now that we live in the um, wonderful county of Kent, which is now tier four, which I've just seen a sign saying it's twinned with Wuhan, um, <laughs> which we're not allowed out any longer. Um, but I've got a bottle. I've got a, a bottle of Spitfire which is uh, Shepherd Neem. So that's from our county. So I'm very supportive of uh, that. But I've also got something which has led me astray on many a shoot event, which is um, a rusty nail. So it's 50% Drambuie. And then the other part is a very fine whiskey, which is Balveni uh, Caribbean class uh, cask. And it's uh, aged 14 years. And the combination of um, a little bit of Drambuie and whiskey is just wonderful. Then uh, have a little, a little sip with the Spitfire and uh, I'll be all over the place by the end of this podcast. So cheers. <laughs> cheers. Fantastic. So, so you, need yeah. to, you need to tell us where, um, where, the, where, the, um, where the drink comes from, because it's, it's got a particular place, hasn't it? Well, I've got several places where the rusty nails come from, actually, because... Um, I mean, as in, like, stories where you've had it with your mates. I can think of one. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> uh, well, uh, go on, and you let me on what you're thinking first. I'll tell you you're right. I, I was thinking at the end of the day in muck. You've got it. Uh, out of the most wonderful um, pewter uh, sort of in gallon hip flask, uh, comes the rusty nail and the Isle of Muck is probably one of the best places you could shoot ever 
Uh, I'm lucky enough to have shot all over the world. And um, I must say, nothing ever beats a day on Isle of Muck with um, raspberry vodka gins and, uh, of course, the rusty nail, which uh, when you're dealing with a 40 mile an hour wind and uh, horizontal rain, uh, it makes uh, the shooting even more enjoyable. Uh, if, if those conditions can be enjoyable, but which they surely are. But the hospitality of Toby and Mary is unbelievable. And uh, uh, Rusty Nail is uh, one of the many drinks that we've had there. Sounds good. It, I mean, I've got fond memories of Rusty Nails as well, because I think, so back in the day, my dad was a member of a syndicate at Rope Manor in Hampshire with all of his fishing buddies. And Rusty Nails is what was served at Eleven's is there. And I would have been about 13, 14 at the time, I think. And I've got very clear memories of having rusty nails there. And it was always bitterly cold and just the perfect drink for that for that weather. Just wonderful stuff. I don't think I've had any rusty nails for about 15 years, though. So I might have to, to look into that again. <laughs> well, you say you've got clear, uh, good memories of it. I, I, my memory normally fails after two or three of these. So um, <laughs> well, I suspect at that age, I was probably only being given a, you know, a... Just enough to wet the lips, probably. <laughs> so, George, if it's not a rusty nail, what have you got? As you know, Chris, I've just come back from holiday in Slovakia. And the last time I was out there, I spotted on a beer pump, too late to buy any to bring home, a beer that immediately leapt out as me as perfect for a podcast recording. Um, I've had some pronunciation guidance from my wife. It's called Zlati Bajant, which means golden pheasant. Oh, Perfect. And I thought that is just absolutely perfect. So it's a Czechoslovak beer and it's uh, pheasant themed. It's absolutely perfect. So ice cold, straight out of the fridge. Lovely. The Czechs are pretty good at their beer as well. Is it good? Yeah, it is. It's really nice, actually. Just that, a really nice, easy drinking lager. Um, not too gassy. Yeah, really nice stuff. Chris, I saw you when we just before we start, started recording on the video, you brought in what looked like about six bottles so <laughs> <laughs> what have you got I, I said on the last episode i made the mistake of not having enough lined up so i've just gone for overkill this time <laughs> i have a, a beer uh continuing my theme of beers which is perfect for this themed episode of how it all started because i have a Brewdog dead pony club which I absolutely love. I honestly think it's awesome. It's a, it's a sort of session IPA type beer. Now, the reason I've got Brewdog Dead Pony Club is that the Blue Posts pub, which is just down Arlington Street, just by the Ritz, just off St. James's in the West End of London, when it got redone and reopened back in whenever that was, probably 2012 or something, soon after Brewdog was launched, they ended up having Dead Pony uh, on tap. And our first office was on German Street, an amazing place to have an office. So we, as a team, always used to go and congregate in the Blue Post, just off St. James's, and drink. And Dead Pony was what I would order every time. So to have that on this episode, I thought was very apt. Many fond memories and great decisions were made in the Blue Post, weren't there? But I remember standing there, we were chatting about something to do with work, some particular idea we'd come up with, and Bruce Willis came and stood next to us. I mean... <laughs> Oh, that's very appropriate. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, isn't it? So it is. <laughs> there, there, there's a debate, hey? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? We won't, we won't, we won't tackle that one now. <laughs> that's for a totally different podcast. It came in the top five in the list this morning, I think, on the news. But hey, <laughs> right? It's not all fun and games, James. We've got important decisions to make. the The next feature is. You mentioned that what's that you're drinking is fast becoming an institution. Hopefully, whose bird is it anyway is also making its way towards that. It's the segment where our listeners send us their dilemmas and confessions and all that sort of thing. And we help them to decide what the right course of action is or was, or just condemn them outright, as may be the case. And this week's submission comes from somebody who we're calling Dave. Uh, and it's a a real killer. This is a good one. Uh, so the the email reads, after hearing your fantastic podcast episode today, brownie points instantly, um, <laughs> I would like to share my story with you to see whether you whether I've done the correct thing. Just before lockdown in November, I was invited to go shooting by a good friend of mine who I haven't seen in several years. 
Unfortunately, the day of the shoot happened to be my girlfriend's mum's birthday. We invited her to go to the pub for a nice lunch, of course, all paid for by me and my other half, as she's their only daughter and it was our birthday treat to her mum. Now, my girlfriend and I didn't live together. We live a good 20 minute drive from each other. So the night before I phoned her and I told her that I wasn't feeling well. With COVID knocking around, I said, maybe I should stay at home tomorrow just to be on the safe side. So the next day, I packed up my shooting gear and headed off. In all honesty, it was a cracking day's shooting, probably the best I've had in a while. Afterwards, we headed to a local pub for a drink. However, unbeknownst to me, my girlfriend had changed the venue for her mother's lunch at the last minute. And sadly for me, that venue happened to be the same pub into which I walked with my shooting buddies. It's safe to say I'm now a single man. What do you think? Was I right to take the shooting or was I a bit of an ass? I think I know the answer, but I'm curious to get your take. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Oh, my well, God. Well, Dave, I'm struggling to know what to say to you beyond the fact that shooting girlfriends, partners, wives have to be incredibly tolerant. And uh, clearly the tolerance didn't last in your case uh, as you're now on your own. So on that basis, uh, she probably wasn't the right person in the first place. <laughs> so if you went along and uh, I think, well, yes, uh, I won't relate to my own uh, marital affairs, but um, yes, shooting wives have to be very tolerant. And uh, sure, that's, that's a brave thing to say. I hope, she, I hope, I hope Ali doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um, Dave, bad luck. I think uh, good effort, uh, good try. And um, walking into a pub uh, fully clad in your shooting gear, I would have loved to have seen your uh, uh, girlfriend's mother's face as you stood there and <laughs> had to explain yourself. It would have a red hand mark all over it, wouldn't it? It His would. Face. It would. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculously <laughs> awkward. And I don't think, I think, I think actually in hindsight, they were never really going to end up staying together, were they? If this was his action quite early on in the relationship. Yeah, I feel like he had made a decision about what was more important there. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly what it is. It's like he clearly decided that this didn't really matter. And so I think maybe he was just, it, the inevitable came out just a bit earlier than he probably expected. Yes, I think the guy was uh, running high risk early on in the relationship, and clearly it was it was not to work. So, <laughs> so have we got any any advice, for Dave? Uh, so, so, so it, I don't think we're. I don't. I'd never really thought I'd be asked about relationship advice. But my advice is that if you like your other half. Don't lie about the fact you're going shooting straight away. Like it's only going to end in tears. <laughs> Well, I must say, I mean, uh, I, I've when you look at the shooting bill, um, that's probably the thing that uh, generally uh, causes more damage in relationships than anything else. Yeah. Uh, and the number of uh, shoot bills that go to companies rather than to the family household is enormous on the basis <laughs> that concealing what you actually spend on shooting is, in fact, uh, a uh, pastime. And in fact, I've got the most wonderful original Bryn Parry called The Shooting Bill. And um, it pictures this very grand lady holding a bill in her hand and she's looking at it. And the man, her husband, presumably, is standing there quivering along with his lovely yellow Labrador that's ears are down and it's looking as though it's the worst day that ever happened as he <laughs> finally finds out. And funny enough, one of the really amusing things that uh, when we first started Guns on Pegs was um, somebody uh, actually wrote in asking for gift vouchers for um, uh, a wife, asking for gift vouchers for a husband and said, can I offer £50 for him to go shooting? Uh, as I'm sure he'll be delighted. And I suspect that um, she didn't realise that probably doesn't even cover the tip. So um, <laughs> I must say the amount of Absolutely. information not understood by uh, many of the shooting partners is extraordinary. That's like the fisherman's prayer. You must know this one, James, which is, uh, please, God, don't let my wife sell my fishing rods for what I told her I paid for them. I've seen the same thing as 
please God, when I die, don't let my wife sell the guns for watch. Uh, I, I told her I paid them, paid for them. So, yeah, very similar, <laughs> especially if it's a pair of Purdy's. Right. In this in this in this 21st century we live in now, uh, I think we 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 have to condone Dave uh, and his in and his actions as uh, as careless uh, and and encourage others not to do the same. I think. Yeah, I think that's a shooting rookie error. That really isn't it. Yeah. <laughs> George, you haven't added. I haven't actually asked your input on this, so you must have some some words of advice for Dave. Well, yeah, don't do it again. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can totally see where he was coming from. Not seen his buddies for ages. You know, we've all wanted to get out. We've all been desperate, and this year in particular, it's been that much more important. But I think in the long run, if the person's important to you, take them with you or don't lie as you said I think that's that's the bottom line and I'm sorry Dave you know it was it was probably a bit of an error and uh yeah you're now single and you can't go out for ages so um yeah yeah (laughs) you're kind of stuck with that decision (laughs) yeah exactly that's a tricky one and I I feel that I've also got another slightly moral dilemma here because in theory he gets a pair of podcast uh podcast garters for that submission. But I feel like this careless and naive action is going to earn him a reward, which is a contradiction in terms. Let's look at it as a compensation. Oh, okay. 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 I could probably, it's a, you know, a small, a small, you know, silver lining to what must have been a tricky situation. Fair, fair Just shout. Soften the blow a bit. But that's a very good point. So obviously Dave's got his, uh, his garters coming and, uh, Everybody listening, you know, if you've got a similar, hopefully not too similar story, do get in touch. Drop us an email at pod at gunsonpegs.com. And at this point, I just wanted to say we've had another piece of correspondence in the last couple of weeks, haven't we, Chris? We, we've been inundated, deluged with an email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this email is from Forrest Richards. Uh, short and sweet. And I really liked it, actually. I remember seeing it. it made me smile. It reads, I'm listening to your podcast whilst working at the top of the mast of a sailing boat floating in Chesapeake Bay, Maryland, USA. Keep up the good work. I loved it. I just thought, (laughs) he's at the top of a mast in America. Brilliant. It's a lovely place to be listening to a podcast. (laughs) Wonderful. I love that. It's just so nice to know that people are all over the world doing all kinds of crazy. What was he doing at the top of the mast? I think we need more information. Forest, we need to know what you were doing up there. You look out, boy. I, I, I like this, actually. It saves us having to reply to the email. We discuss it on air, put the podcast out, and we haven't even replied to the email, and we get a reply. So, Forrest, could you give us a little bit more information? What are you doing at the top of the mast? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Is he is he look out, boy? Is he repairing? Is he working on it? He may have been sent there by his wife for failing to tell her that he'd been shooting the previous day. <laughs> but also, he needs to get back in touch because he needs to send us his address so we can send him his garters. And obviously, the top of a mast, Chesapeake Bay, Maryland, USA, that's not going to work. And even better, the garters are going to stick out like a sore thumb shooting some walked-up roosters in the US because the garters and the and the plus fours <laughs> are not the traditional attire. So uh, I'm going to love this. So we need a picture also of Forrest wearing his, his garters. We should have got them in blaze orange. We are, yeah, well, but then they would blend in, yeah. <laughs> he could put them around his, his baseball hat and then wear them dangling down, a bit like an Australian might wear. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think um, it's time to get on to the reason you're with us, James. And the idea behind this podcast is just to give people a bit of an idea who may not know about where Guns on Pegs all came from. So I've been having a chat with Chris about it. And obviously, I know a bit of the story from my time with Guns on Pegs so far. But Chris was telling me that it was 14 years ago this week that you came up with the name Guns on Pegs. Really? That far long ago? Time has flown. I mean, it has been brilliant fun. So gosh, 14 years. So, so naming things is a, a really interesting thing. And I, I write all the content for Guns on Pegs. And one of the most difficult parts of my job, I think, is headlines. And the name is, is is of a similar ilk. It's got to be descriptive, but not too descriptive. So were there some reject names? 
Well, I better tell you the story, I suppose, really, because it was a combination of uh, reasons that we ended up calling it Guns on Pegs. Um, firstly, uh, I was um, not working particularly hard at the time because we had recently sold a business and a bit like a lot of people, I decided to do an awful lot of shooting. And I found myself shooting at the most wonderful place called Chippenham Park, owned by uh, the Crawleys, uh, Eustace and Anne Crawley. And Eustace was a most amazing character who um, didn't mind what he said to anybody. And uh, he had some uh, extraordinary quotes, um, including I remember one day when the team of guns turned up, paying team of guns turned up, not his guests, and he saw one chap as he looked down the game card and he said, didn't your father kill someone? And I remember standing there thinking, gosh, uh, that's a bit awkward. How are you going to deal with that question? But Eustace had a legendary uh, status uh, in, um, in the shooting world in East Anglia. And um, he sadly became very ill uh, quite suddenly and uh, running Chippenham Park. And uh, he said, James, you're not doing much. Would you mind... Um, helping me out on the shoot, which, of course, I was delighted to do at the time. So I started to realise that there was a demand for um, selling shooting, and we ought to use this new thing called the internet. However, I was also walking the dog one day, and I was rung up whilst I was walking the dog, and um, I invited shooting. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, I can't go on that particular day. Uh, because uh, I was busy and I'd had a commitment. I was thinking, gosh, that's odd. Uh, there's no mechanism apart from waiting a month or so to put a, an ad in the one of the shooting uh, journals um, to promote uh, short-dated uh, uh, shooting opportunities. And uh, so it was that combination that got me thinking is, well, why don't we create an internet platform? Because at that time... Um, you know, the internet was really, really new. And you've got to remember that Facebook started in 2004. It didn't get going until 2006 when it moved off campus. And here we are in 2007. So it really was uh, at the start of the sort of development of social media. And um, anyway, I wandered back home and I was thinking to myself, well, at the time, we'd, well, we'd already had the dot-com bubble. Um, and I thought, well, why don't we register a name like lastminuteshooting.com or lateshooting.com? So as soon as I got home, I sat down and went on to uh, one of those domain websites where you can buy the names, and I registered lateshooting.com and lastminuteshooting.com, and um, I thought, very pleased with myself. But actually, um, it wasn't quite as clever as all that because I suddenly realised, well, you know, not all shooting is last minute. In fact, very little of it is actually. At Chippenham Park, I was really, really lucky to have some really lovely guys who used to fly in from uh, California and they'd bought a house on the estate and they were really some of the original founders of some of the great names that we know, such as eBay. And I said to Bruce, Bruce Dunleavy, who ran, uh, runs Benchmark Capital, uh, and in fact, even in his own name, he ended up owning 38% of Instagram when he sold it. So um, he did quite well. Uh, just to put it hardly. <laughs> quite well. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I did a lot of, he was behind a lot of the other amazing names, including Google. And anyway, I said to him one day as we were standing in the field, why don't you lot start an eBay for shooting? Uh, because there's got to be a need for it. And uh, he looked at me, and he's a wonderful man. He really is a wonderful man. He's quite inspirational. And uh, he used to bring some very famous people to Chippenham Park to shoot, very much American uh, people to Chippenham Park. And he said, James, uh, we can't do it, but um, I'll tell you what, why don't you do it, and we'll give you a couple of words of advice. I think they only gave you two words of advice, and the two bits of advice they didn't give me was it was going to cost a couple of million quid of your own money to get it going. But anyway, be that as it may, I said, well, what a great idea. And I was up for a new new scheme. So out of that, we suddenly realized that actually we need to be broader than lastminuteshooting.com or whatever. And uh, I remember sitting down and with uh, a dear, dear friend and Chris, 
we uh, were muttering about it over a, a cup of tea, not a shepherd neem or a rusty nail, but a cup of tea. Yeah, we weren't so boozy in those days, but uh, that's what you're shooting for you. That was the winter of 2000. So that was this this uh, this winter, 2006. Uh, just come back from uni. We were sitting, as you say, sitting down in at home, having a cup of tea with Jeff, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and last minute shooting and late shooting. And we knew that they probably weren't quite right. And literally, it was one of those moments where you, out of nowhere, just said, guns on pegs. And I remember thinking, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> And it was just, it went quiet. It was quite funny. It was. It was, it was an extraordinary moment. Okay, so the seed has been planted at this point. At what point, what is it that pushed you over the edge from thinking there's a, there's an idea here to let's do it? I think it was quite simply that I had a genuine need to sell some days. And we had a, you know, we were putting down a, tens of thousands of partridges at, uh, at the shoot. And, um, you know, we had uh, only a finite number of guns and it was obvious that we had surplus capacity. And I kind of figured that uh, many other shoots must be in the same boat. And uh, as I was doing an awful lot of shooting myself at the time, um, I asked fellow shoot owners all around uh, East Anglia, um, would they, do they have the same problem? And the answer was yes. So, um, we sat back and we thought, right, well, uh, clearly there's an opportunity here for uh, a large number of shoots to um, create effectively a platform. And we had a look at a lot of platforms at the time, all were charging uh, fairly large sums of money to be able to market your day. And you've got to remember how the internet has moved so fast. I mean, we look back at Victorian times at how engineering uh, developed over that period. But the internet has moved much, much quicker in many ways than um, you know, in the past. And um, we very quickly, with the comment from our friends uh, at Benchmark Capital, um, realized that we needed to build what was effectively a disruptive model. And the disruptive shooting uh, model was uh, quite simply, we're not going to charge. Uh, and that way, um, there's no barrier to entry. And um, that way, it's going to cost me a blooming fortune. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> I kind of, uh, kind of thought, well, that's quite a good idea, because at least it will work. <laughs> but Chris, I think, you know, I think that, that that's a really interesting point. That is a, a really key point about the way Guns on Pegs operates. I think even today, a lot of people don't necessarily get, isn't it, Chris, that, that yeah. there is no upfront charge for anybody gun shoots all so so 2007 to, to to launch a freemium based internet business was seriously cutting edge that's like wearing tight jeans i mean it literally was not the done thing uh and and so um so to at the time no one could really understand you know the whole question was well how do you make your money how do you make your money i was so pleased that everyone was concerned about how we made our money um but but uh yeah it it made sure that you got people on there, no barrier to entry. The, the key was that we had availability from all the different shoots and whether it was a big shoot or a small shoot and anyone could then take part in it. And it meant that you actually had a marketplace because if you charged right at the front, in effect, you were a sporting agent and we didn't want to be a sporting agent. We wanted to be something for everyone. So it was uh, it was just very different. And, and people tried to pigeonhole us as well. And so actually that was that was quite tricky with the sporting agents because they immediately thought, oh, no, this is, you know, this is a threat to what we do. And, you know, we were quite clear from the start. No, it's not. We're not trying to do what you do. If anything, you need to use guns on pegs to try and find new customers, which is what they now do. But it took many years to try and for, uh, to get that across. Yes, I mean, we were a bit like something the cat had just dragged in at one point with uh, some of the shooting fraternity, uh, because the idea of using the internet when traditionally you should only ever get invited to go shooting was completely awful. Uh, and I remember on many occasions people looking at me as though I was really rather undesirable, probably still do, but um, you know, at the time it was uh, like, oh, it's me, you're changing the face of shooting. And, you know, to be fair, um, an enormous number of shoots uh, who I knew at the time have benefited from what we, we put together and have been extraordinarily grateful for, in some cases, um, keeping their shoot going. Uh, and uh, this is one of the great sort of dichotomies one has because, you know, 
one of the things nobody knows, even to this day, is actually how many shoots are there in the UK. Uh, and we do need to know that. Uh, we believe that we know, I think, sort of around 9,700 uh, shoots, which is an enormous amount. And um, yet only a small number of quite vocal shoots often represent the body of shooting, when in fact there's actually a much larger body there. Um, and indeed, one of the things that Guns on Pegs did was enable, for example, small syndicates. And I'd never forgotten how in the very early days, which kept us going because it was difficult when you were thinking, well, where on earth are we ever going to earn any money? But I remember one one guy writing in and saying, I want to join a syndicate where I've moved down to Devon. Uh, I don't know anybody. And he put an ad up and sure enough, uh, he got a response from a shoot three miles from where he lived. And his letter back to us or his email back to us was just so lovely in the fact he was thanking us for what we've done. And that connectivity was really one of the most important things, I think, that we created. And that enabled people that had surplus capacity or capacity or even creating a new shoot could actually invite new guns. And I think that's one of the things that we've been really successful with. Obviously, for the, you know, the, the, the blue ribbon shoots, um, they have a customer base, which they'll always have. And we never, ever intended to go after that type of business. Um, the fact that we get a lot of it now is purely down to the fact that uh, the guys have done a great job. Well, James, you're preempting a lot of my questions. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about, you know, the, the initial reception. And you've said that, you know, maybe there were a few people who were uncertain or a bit sort of sniffy about it. But back then, I mean, even today, there are some shoot owners and some members who struggle a little bit with the tech side of things. Um, back then, it must have been like pushing water uphill <laughs> it was magnificent um chris and i have some great stories and uh, i'm sure uh, we can regale one in, in a second but well yeah go on we, we, oh, we, well before i do that literally we used to have to teach people how to turn their computer on and to go onto the site and so on and so forth and uh, i remember one day uh, talking to a guy and in the background all I could hear was this quacking as obviously he was in a menagerie of ducks but it really brought home to me that we were dealing at that time with dial-up um, I mean who remembers dial-up now but I mean yeah, the oh, yeah. creak and groan as it finally responded but we really had to talk through uh, talk talk it through with how to uh, get onto the site but I remember one day Chris and I uh, we were heading up north uh, we were living in Suffolk and we were heading up north and a shoot owner came on to us, uh, a very famous person, actually, or quite a very well-known person came on to us saying, I want to set my shoot up on your system. And I remember I was driving. So, Chris, you were sitting in the passenger seat there on, the, on, on I think we were on loudspeaker. Yeah, we must have been because I heard it all. So we were on loudspeaker and uh, um, Chris sort of took over and we were talking uh, talking him through sort of uh, creating his location, creating the narrative about the shoot and, and then talking about the available days. And then we got to the great moment, Chris, where um, in order to tell your shooting and make it more visual, you have to um, upload a photograph. And what happened, Chris? Can you remember? Well, I think you need to deliver it. <laughs> I can remember it very well. <laughs> well, I remember his lordship. Uh, so I'm giving it away who was who we were speaking to. You know, I'm narrowing the market anyway. Uh, but his lordship, I remember saying, he said, I'm afraid I simply can't do that. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask the butler to do that in the morning. And I've <laughs> never forgotten it. It was one of the greatest moments in the development of guns on pegs. I really loved it. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So that actually leads me on quite nicely to, uh, you sort of alluded to it before a bit as well, but... Um, has the type of shoot that's listed on Guns on Pegs today, and Chris, you'll be able to answer this as well, um, the type of shoot that's listed on Guns on Pegs, has it changed over the years from, from the early days? Hugely, actually. I think I think it's quite difficult to remember 14 years ago, but it was it was hugely different. We were nowhere near as connected as people as we are now. You know, just just I think the whole our, our lives were totally different. And when when all these shoots started to go onto Guns and Pegs, so it launched in June 2007, around the time of my birthday. I remember that. Uh, I I was just finishing uni, um, 
and I went to London, got my first job, and uh, I would I would work away uh, on Guns on Pegs stuff uh, whilst I was at my job, and didn't tell them that was my first job in, in recruitment. I remember looking at the um, at the website on my screen at work, and just flicking through, looking at all these names of shoots, and we'd never heard of so many of them, and we had a hundred shoots on the website by Christmas, having set the website live in the in in June. Uh, 100 websites, uh, sorry, 100 shoots and a 1,000 new members, free-to-use members who join the system. So it clearly got this traction, but I remember looking at these, through these 100 shoots and there were so many that we just didn't know of. And because people couldn't really travel around and go to all these different shoots that you just know about now, something like this was totally needed because I think... You, you often used to shoot on like your syndicate, like dad alludes to your, your syndicate around your home and, and in your local counties and occasionally travel around different shoots. The idea of just getting in the car and going to Yorkshire and then getting in the car and going to Devon and then we'll do one day over in Wales and then we'll come back and we'll do a couple at home, whatever. That just really wasn't the done thing back then. So it's changed enormously because people have added more and more shoots to their sort of calendar of stuff that they do. Uh, but li- really, the the internet in general has helped to connect that, not just us, but we certainly instigated a lot of that. Well, I think the most telling thing, Chris, uh, along the lines of what you've just said, is having done years of surveys of our um, shooting uh, shoots and indeed guns. The thing that has always struck me and has always given me comfort in that we did the right thing was that the number of teams or number of guns that visit multiple shoots in a season has grown every year steadily uh, over a, certainly a sort of 2009 through to sort of 15, 16. You saw almost one extra shoot per gun per season growth. And what we created was an opportunity to go to new places. And uh, a frequent comment with to a lot of people in shooting, you know, and bear in mind, this is now only 15 or 14 years ago, um, people were saying, you know, I'd love to go to somewhere else. And uh, people didn't know how to. So that uh, sort of um, roving syndicate type concept has grown enormously over the years. And that ability to visit multiple locations, I never forget. I used to, I mean, I used to shoot at Chippenham Park a lot. But if you drew peg number X at the start of the day, you could work out where you're going to be, assuming you knew the drives on all the drives going forward. And it got a bit you know, samey. I mean, shooting's all about having fun with your mates, but it's also if you're standing in the same bit of land and you can see the birds funneling over number two gun because you know that's what's going to happen. Gets a bit boring. Yeah. So you know, to be able to spend and shooting's very expensive. It's it, it's you know, it, it's nice to be able to have that variation, and I think that's one of the things that we're so pleased to have created, really. Yeah. So so looking back, those fourteen years. Do you feel like the business, like, could you see and does the, does the business as it is now, does it marry up with what you envisaged back then or is it dramatically different? Um, Go on, Chris. It, it, it was not supposed to be what it is now. Can I just clarify something? We did, <laughs> I don't believe that we intended to do and get it to, like, it. What, could we just, that dad's first comment, this was set up for a need. If it had solved the Chippenham Park break-even problem, which was the intention there, just to stop it hemorrhaging cash, uh, then great, mission mission uh, accomplished in a sense. And then also to be involved in a world that we really both love and have a lot of fun in, experience new shoots, meet new people. You know, for us, this was a sort of labour of love for a long, long time. So I really do not believe that it intended to be what it was especially like the type of call we had a team meeting this morning, but yeah. <laughs> One blooming great accident. I mean, let's not put any other words on it. It was a complete accident. And it's led to me taking my son out of the most wonderful job working for a bank where he could have earned a lot of money into working his backside off to sort of stand still at times. Uh, and uh, I've ended up doing things that I never imagined I would ever end up doing. Uh, as a result of uh, this crazy idea over a cup of tea uh, rather than a rusty nail uh, and uh, you know, creating guns on pegs. And indeed, you know, it's, it's, let's face it, it's been a very expensive uh, development too. It's not been cheap. And um, I must say, when I handed over the reins to Chris, really, in 2014, we were 
we'd been burning cash for at least seven or eight years. He's turned it into a business which generates cash, which, of course, I'm rather relieved about as uh, he's now got to pay my pension. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, uh, <laughs> but it, no, it's been an extraordinary experience, but it was a complete accident. And I would make no bones to anybody about that. Somebody had to do it and we just chose to. So, so I, mu- I must add something which I thought was particularly interesting here, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who, who are sort of maybe sort of fathers in your position at the time, Dad, thinking about, you know, oh, I'd love to work with my son, stuff like that. You know, that, I imagine that's quite a common scenario, especially in our world. Uh, and, um, and as you say, it wasn't really supposed to be a business. And we were sort of umming and ahhing about, well, this thing's gaining traction. You know, there's lots of people wanting to use it. Should we see what we can do with it? And we were sitting outside Franco's on German Street. Um, and uh, it was late one evening, just having a chat. And there was a guy sitting next to us in black tie uh, who I think he'd been, there was a big event going on at the BAFTA place. And we were chatting away about whether we should make this a business or not. And um, I was 24 at the time. Uh, and he turned around and just interrupted our conversation because he, he could hear that there was a bit of a dilemma going on that could he could he add some value. And he said to us, look, how old are you? I was like 24. And he's he said, what have you got to lose? And I was thinking, well, not a lot, really. I'm 24. But <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, just just give it a go. Like, see what happens. And we did. And I think he actually subconsciously was quite a lot of encouragement. Oh, uh, he was brilliant. Now, uh, I don't know whether this is apocryphal now because I, I, I maybe it's the Russian now. But I mean, this guy was very famous. Uh, who told us <laughs> we debated it long and hard? Chris has never agreed with us. I was sure it was Steven Spielberg, but anyway, I'm proving <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's call him Stephen. Uh, he he turned around and he said to us, he said, "Well, look, why don't you give your son a go? I mean, two years, give it a go for two years, and if he completely screws up, you can still write him a great piece on his CV, and then he can move on to another piece of business." And funnily enough, as Chris rightly says. It was a very, very important moment as we just looked at each other and thought, well, why not? And uh, off we went. And uh, I was hugely relieved because, of course, the Internet is not exactly um, an older generation sport at the best of times. And, uh, of course, you know, the development in the last 10 years has been unbelievable. So um, having youngsters in the business has been absolutely vitally important. So, so my only lesson there is if there's anyone else thinking about it, just give it a go and see what happens because it's quite good fun. And then if you're 24 and you and it fails two years later, then just go and get a job or try anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was the sort of logic behind it. Let's see what happens. So anyway, we look back and it's just been great fun. Okay, so here we are 14 years later. Obviously, I know some of the answer to this, quite a lot of the answer, but um, what's next for Guns on Pegs? It's been a continual evolution over 14 years what are you prepared to give away so when we started it was all about connecting uh shoots with guns so people go on and send an inquiry to a shoot shoot gets back to them they're off hunky-dory we're happy uh and we don't earn any money for that and that's fine but the whole business is based on advertising so uh we then talked about connecting guns with shoots but the other way around so we created the peg match thing which is really leveraging the data dad referred to with the number of shoots so people could find opportunities so let's say they're shooting in scotland and they would like to break up their journey and have another day on the way home lots of people find themselves in that position as we see by email traffic uh so they we created peg match that's part of the premium membership and that was that's been hugely successful in that side the last stage we would really like to go down is to connect guns with guns because it's the final piece of the jigsaw and i think it really makes me think when you ask about the history of guns on pegs and why and, and how we've got to where we got to and the type of shoot using it. If you think about, we, cre- we, we solved a problem at the time for a shoot like dad was running, uh, a real need. That need has changed hugely in the last 14 years. Lots of shoots now have got quite big databases of people that come to have, cut, have shot with them over the years. They've collected email addresses and they keep in touch with those people through various different means. So actually the need for what? people do now is is adjusting and i think there is quite a lot of movement around sort of niche social media uh people talking together in amongst their own small groups and community not whatsapp small but slightly bigger than that but just to do with your hobbies uh i think we're seeing that through the rise of facebook groups which ironically was the biggest thing on facebook when it started and then got small and is now coming back but the reason i think facebook groups is so big is because of the rise of niche 
social media. People don't post on their feeds like they used to. All the data points towards that. So anyway, guns to guns. Uh, we're going to do something there. Um, I'm determined just because I'd like to. And even if it fails, who cares? Like We'll have fun doing it. <laughs> uh, so, so that's the route I'd like to go. Well, I don't think, Chris, it will fail. I think one of the wonderful things that we've got is that we all know that it is the older generations who probably shoot more than the younger generations because they've got the uh, time and they've also got the finance. And uh, the great thing, of course, is that we've been around social media long enough, even for old duffers like me, to completely understand the likes of LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and so on and so forth. And I think the, the concept of niche social uh, networks is really, really key. Uh, we all that all that everybody that shoots has got a group and circle of friends that love shooting. Uh, and um, you know, it is remarkable the number of times we need to communicate with them quickly to offer opportunities or to get them together or get money out of them to pay and so on. Um, so I think uh, you're really... Yeah, and I, and I think actually, if you go back to the need of Guns on Pegs and you think, I, I, I've been on so many days where I've met really lovely people that I've that were friends of someone who's invited me. So they're a friend of a friend, but you know, you don't really know them well enough to sort of say, Oh, give me your email address or add me on Facebook or let's connect on LinkedIn or something like that. It's all a bit weird. Uh, and I just feel that there's potential friendships there or people that I'd like to stay in contact with that I would definitely shoot with again. And then, you know, that's the start of sort of spending more time with other groups of circles of friends and just generally having more fun, which is actually the reason we do this all in the first place. And I actually think that there's friendships that have been lost through the fact that we don't have a facility to keep in touch with people that we may meet out in the field that's probably in a different way to what the current opportunities out there lend themselves towards. So I that's sort of something that's actually bugging me more than anything. And, and I feel that there is something that we probably don't yet realise that we would like. And actually, if it was there, we might quite like to use it. So We'll do our best. I don't know. There's something along those lines will come next. That's for sure. Answering your question. But yeah, I mean, George, I, I, I think one of the things that a lot of us can do is it's such a hassle to sometimes get a nine guns for a day. And if we can make the assembly of a team of guns a whole lot easier than it currently is, then I think that would be a great, um, a great thing to achieve. And that would really round that circle of guns on pegs and doing what it's done yeah indeed it yeah. does feel like a, a natural progression and it does feel like it would be as chris said the, the the final piece in the jigsaw and i know i'm really excited about it and i hope everybody listening will be excited to learn about it as well and it's going to be a while coming you know these things do take time but but it, it's going to be a lot of fun and should as you say help friendships to develop and, and all that kind of thing so that I, that's a perfect way to round off that conversation i think and it's been really interesting I've obviously heard some of the stories before, but uh, not all of it. And um, anybody listening for the first time, I hope they'll have found that really interesting as well. Now, James, the final thing that we do before we round off the whole episode uh, with all our guests, and I guess, Chris, since you're sort of technically a guest on this one as well, maybe you can answer this question as well. It's <laughs> the, the final segment is Desert Island Shooting. So the idea is you've got one day, unlimited budget, logistics, not an issue. Where are you going shooting? Who are you going with? all that sort of stuff. James, you go first. Absolutely dead easy answer. And I am really lucky. I've shot all over the world on some most amazing shoots. Uh, and uh, there is only one place I would ever go back to for my last day shooting, and that's the Isle of Muck. Uh, Toby and Mary run the best shoot with the most wonderful shooting lodge, amazing food, uh, you've got the sea in the background on every single drive. You've got some really quite testing shooting um, from obviously pheasant and partridge right way through to some wonderful snipe shooting uh, and woodcock. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Isle of Muck for me is where uh, I'd quite happily be buried facing out to sea on Costa del Muck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good choice. It's a good choice. A lot, a lot of fun to be had up there. Um Oh, this is such a tricky one to be, I mean, without naming locations, because I actually think that that's not the most important part of all of this, but it's, it, it obviously does lend itself to a great fun trip. Uh, I've had some awesome time with a couple of my best mates. So thinking sat in a, sat in the middle of a, a flooded field that turned into the most awesome duck flight. Uh, it was about, it was just about welly deep. So you could walk out to this slightly raised bit in the middle. And we sat on a little reed bed, uh, my mate Pip and I. 
uh, and a couple of others back to back shooting sitting down and um yeah something like that would be absolutely awesome either with any of my best mates yeah then we uh just a bit of a duck flight light partridge day ending up in the pub for an awesome little session afterwards and i think that's really the bit it's the sort of the stories after going you know going along into the evening i hate it i hate it when we have to go home so for me that would be it brilliant i mean yes chris you're absolutely right it's the social aspect of the day and having great fun with your mates and nothing will ever beat that and that is actually why we have done what we've done because it is a social event and uh, that's the key to i think uh, having great fun shooting indeed well yeah i mean that's absolutely lovely i think you've both summed it up perfectly it's it's lovely and it's been a really fascinating chat james thank you ever so much for joining us it's before we say goodbye to everybody tell us a little bit about the next episode who've we got so we've got our high pheasant shot episode. Uh, we've got uh, someone who's notorious for shooting a high pheasant or two, Gerwin Jones, on with us. Uh, so really looking forward to, to chatting about all things high pheasants. Yeah, it's going to be great. And so, yeah, as I said already, and I'm sure, Chris, you'll reiterate this. James, thank you very much for joining us. Chris, thank you very much for sort of being a guest on your own podcast. Bit, bit weird, isn't it? But thank you, Dad. Thank you, son. It's lovely to work with you again. <laughs> 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 anybody think we don't talk but uh no wonderful george and thank you very much it's a great opportunity to tell the story and it's lovely to uh join you not at all and so uh as i've said you know thanks ever so much to everyone for listening uh, i hope you've enjoyed learning a bit more about the origins and the history of guns on pegs as per usual before we go there's one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of these very exclusive, money can't buy, guns on pegs, shooting sock garters. Send us your shooting dilemmas. Tell us where you're listening. Just get in touch. We just love getting correspondence from our listeners. Email us uh, at pod at gunsonpegs.com. And if we read out your contributions, there'll be a pair of garters winging their way to you in the post. Until the next episode, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>